Hi, I'm Jane Jackson. I'm the VP of People at Wistia. And I'm Colin Denny from the support team at Wistia. And you're listening to A Better Workplace from Wistia. I think the root of this or the start of this podcast, I don't know if you remember, but you and I live in the same neighborhood and it's not super close to Wistia's HQ. Nope. And I fondly remember many drives from HQ out to our neighborhood and some of the discussions that we had in the car, sitting in traffic, about things like race and diversity and inclusion. And I really valued those conversations and never would have expected it to lead to where it is now. But I I very much think that was probably the little seed that got us to where we are now, the little GTI conversations <laughs> with Colin and Jane. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that because that makes, pr- I, I never even thought of that, but you're absolutely right. Like, we had a head start on this. And and what's funny is it actually makes me so happy to hear you say that because sometimes I worry about like how, like am I too much for somebody? Because I feel like, like 90% of the time, if you are with me in some kind of space where we're having discussions, I will inevitably pivot towards uh, some kind of like social justice or like, uh, you know, that real stuff where sometimes I wonder, like, this person's, like, giving me a ride home. They're like, oh, my God, what is wrong with you? Like, can I'm just giving you a ride. Can you chill? <laughs> <laughs> so, Colin, we're uh, we're doing a DE&I podcast. How are you feeling about this and, and where this is going to go? I'm feeling excited. I think we're being given an opportunity to talk about important issues as it relates to businesses and people. And I think we're also being given an opportunity to stress the importance of humanity and kind of centering people in businesses and how that can really change a workplace culture for the better. You know, I think it's it's a good thing to get comfortable talking about the uncomfortable. So I'm excited to see what we can get into and who we can talk to and get into the weeds a little bit. So uh, how about you? What are your hopes and fears for for this podcast? Colin, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little bit nervous. (laughs) We've had some really great conversations as you know, individuals and as members of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Task Force. But it's also a little bit scary to put this out there and talk about it knowing I am not an expert. I am learning. Wissy is not an expert. We are learning. And then we're going to get stuff wrong. Anyone doing this work is going to get stuff wrong. But absolutely, it's just scary to put it out there and have our learning and our journey kind of recorded as it's happening versus kind of the pretty <laughs> look back uh, <Yeah. laughs> once we've done all the work. You know, one thing I'm super excited about, that's a very Wistia word, I'm, I'm genuinely super excited about, <laughs> is there are some amazing folks doing amazing work in the diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging field right now. And it's gonna be really cool to get to talk to some of these folks 
and feel their impact at Wistia in terms of like how they influence our strategy and, and things that we're prioritizing. So I'm really excited to to hear what some folks say, some of the things that they've learned or recommend businesses try to get started or to do this work well. I'm super excited about the folks we'll get to talk to. Delicate topics and, you know, real situations this is real life for a lot of people. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, it's real life for everybody. It just impacts different people in different ways. There's a bottom of the ladder, which are people that are, you know, the, the ones that feel like they're uncovering diversity and equity and inclusion topics for the first time, like they're wowed by how how real this is. And then there's people that are a little further up the ladder that have been fighting for this, equity-seeking groups that live this. And I think uh, the analogy I like to, uh, that I enjoyed that I read is is kind of like meeting people with where they are on that ladder and then just trying to bring them with you one rung at a time. And so, as you mentioned, th- this is not, going to be instructive to you know be completely anti-biased anti-racist you you know you listen to this podcast and you emerge uh you know captain woke but (laughs) i i think uh you know what what i hope that people gain from this is perspectives and opportunities to think about things critically and constructively in order to be our best selves and empower others to be their best selves and get to where we all want to be. In this episode, we're talking about comp equity and why it's important for businesses to build systems or frameworks to ensure they're paying their teams fairly and equitably. Compensation can't help but feel like a measure of your worth to a company. It's deeply personal for folks And when you get it right as a business, compensation has a really positive impact on people and lets them better focus on the work. But getting it wrong can have really profound impacts on individuals, your company culture, and how people are engaged with their work. And frankly, whether people on your team decide to stay or to leave. So first up, Colin and I are each going to share our own stories of times in our careers where we discovered that we were not being paid fairly for our work, and we're going to dig into what those experiences were like. Then, later in the episode, we're going to talk about the changes we've made at Wistia to make sure that folks here are paid equitably, and that we're transparent about what factors into those decisions around compensation to remove the guesswork for people. We're going to start with Colin's story. So I previously had a job where uh, the office was very small. I think there were only seven of us. At the height, it was nine. So it's a very small working environment. And because of that small working environment, a lot of the employees would get pretty, we became pretty comfortable with one another. And so uh, that led to a particular discussion one day over uh, after or post-work drinks where it, it came to my attention that uh, I, I was brought on in my position far below what the rest of the office, what, what their compensation was. And not just for my position, but just in general. It was one of those things where because the place is so small, most people start around the same compensation level. That was untrue for me. And it was one of those situations where when you 
hear that you try to mask a little bit your your gut reactions um it's obviously a bit of a gut punch and so you try to work through those feelings of a combination of surprise and anger and uh then curiosity like why is this the case and then in this particular context even though it was a very small office, I was also the only person of color in this office. And so when you know that you have the experience, you are putting in the work, they know what you are bringing to the table and you're told that you're valued, but then you learn that your compensation does not reflect what is being told to you. Uh, you start to, you start to wonder what, well, why, like what, what are the reasons for this? It's not performance based. It's not experience-based because those are all things, those were boxes that were checked. So being the only person of color in the office, you start to connect some dots. Do I know that that was specifically the reason? Concretely, no. But I think it's one of those ones where the writing is kind of on the wall. And if it's not, then you'd have to really fish for a reason uh, as to why that is the case. And so... It was a it was a pretty difficult situation to to wade through in terms of like sorting out all of the various emotions around it, I think. So what are those if you're willing to share some of those emotions that you are feeling? Are they directed at the company? Are they directed at your supervisor? Are you doing some self-reflecting? on what you are bringing to the table what are mm -hmm. some of the things that that jump into your head when you hear about this disparity at a place that you sound like you otherwise were fairly happy at yeah uh, no. until you got this this data point for sure yeah i mean it was to this company's credit it, w it was a very fun and good place to work like uh you know i i still maintain friendships with a lot of the people that i that I worked with and it was a, it was a solid working environment in terms of like the interpersonal relationships. But in terms of this compensation disparity, I think to answer your question, it was kind of both, you know, you're simultaneously working through. Well, I think my, my gut reaction was being upset with, with the company uh, because I felt like um, I was led to believe that this was like a fair and equitable situation. And, you know, I had good relationships with everybody, but then when you start to think of it in that way, you start questioning yourself and you're saying, well, what am I doing wrong? Or what are they doing that I'm not? And then it kind of flips back on the other end where you're like, well, I'm not doing anything or they're not doing anything that I'm not. And I'm not underperforming. And, you know, like we all come in and we're doing the same things in our own respective departments and everything. So I feel like it, it was like a lot of, it felt like a light switch kind of, you know, like you're flipping on, in terms of like, well, you know, it's them and I'm being wrong. And then you flip it off and you're like, well, is it me? And you kind of flip flop between the two with it because you don't have any context around the why. Like, why was I brought in at, we're not talking like a small amount, a pretty significant amount less than everyone else is brought on. And then when you look at the variables that I, you know, that I just talked about in terms of being the only person of color there, you start to build up a little bit of resentment and in, you know, it's, it's a very difficult conversation to have, and it's a very difficult thought process to work through because, uh, especially not knowing if that is explicitly the case, because what are people going to tell you? 
You know, like, are they going to say, well, you know, we brought you on for this amount because you're black. Like, no one's going to say that. That's a extreme HR violation and blatantly racist. So, like, you know, that's what really presents the difficulty in all of it in terms of working through how you're feeling and then how to take action on it. It's really uh, interesting some of the things that companies will do to prevent this in the in the past and i guess some companies probably still do this there will be things in the employee handbook preventing uh folks from discussing comp because right. businesses don't want this to come up and mm-hmm. and i think to that the solution is have a method to how you compensate people where you feel comfortable answering every single question that could potentially come up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're in this situation. Now you have this information. What's the next step for you? I I imagine some folks simply select out. Other folks uh, probably need to have a discussion with somebody on the team about it. Mm -hmm. And then some folks may choose to just kind of sit with the information because it's it's hard to navigate. Mm -hmm. What's kind of your thought process and and how did you take it to the next step of, of resolving this? Uh, it was a situation where uh, I, I had sat with it for about a week. I was rather discontented, and I um, went on on the job search. That's how I chose to handle it in that moment. And because I'm not a generally confrontational person, I didn't bring it up as one of those reasons why in my exit interview. And I feel like that did a disservice to myself for one and to the company as well, because again, I, I do want to say that they, they were, you know, the good folks over there. I, I don't harbor any like uh, lingering resentment, but I do think that there was a compensation discrepancy that was unfair and you know, kind of disclosing that information, whether it was in the moment or on my way out, would have been a good opportunity to kind of get the wheels turning going forward for, you know, posterity to be on people's minds as they continue to, you know, grow and operate a business. And so I can say that my, my the, the, the decision has, has largely paid off, you know, uh, being here and it, it's a great thing. But I do think that, you know, like in retrospect, I wish that I had brought it up and, and not been so governed by my uh, distaste for, <laughs> for, for confrontation, not because I'm scared of it, so to speak, but because like I kind of gaslight myself a lot of the time into thinking that it's not worth it. But a lot of the time, we're, as we're seeing, when enough people say it's not worth it, that's how cultures can be impacted negatively. I recognize that at this point you're looking back and thinking you know it would be helpful if i had shared this feedback with Mm -hmm. the company i think many business and hr leaders would probably uh, appreciate that feedback as a mechanism for change but i want to recognize that there is some real downside to folks sharing stuff like that in their exit interview. Mm -hmm. We work in the Boston market. It's a small 
interconnected market and folks always you know you're you're coached to leave with you know your best foot forward Mm -hmm. uh, in case there are back channel references or you know you need these folks later on so i want to recognize that that feedback is certainly helpful for businesses but there's a reason businesses shouldn't necessarily expect to be getting that real-time feedback because there is a a power differential in that sort of relationship as folks are trying to build their careers and build their uh, references and create a good foundation to grow their career. So I just want to recognize that you shouldn't be beating yourself up about that. That is something that that team should be able to look at the data and kind of suss out that, that there was maybe an issue on that front. All right, Jane. So I'm excited to hear your side of the story with Comp Equity because by default, every employee is going to care about whether they're getting paid fairly or not. But when you're the person on the other side of the desk and you are the person in HR that has all of the insight into compensation, then there's an added degree of difficulty when you need to navigate those conversations around your own pay. Reflecting on my career I have certainly had similar situations where I look back and think, how could I have done this differently, knowing that there was money left on the table? You know, one circumstance that jumps out to me and I think is a little bit unique given my position where, you know, I have access to market data that other folks don't have, um, much deeper data than you can find on freemium sites. And then also I have access to what our payroll looks like and what our financials look like as a business and in all of the HR roles that I've held. And there was a particular instance where I was doing some compensation research and you know, it was clear that I was paid under market for what my role had become and what was being asked of me. And when I look across my peers who were all male coworkers at the time, were at and above my peer level, uh, those folks relative to market were paid either in line with market or over market. Mm-hmm. And in my situation, it's kind of that same you know, strategy approach where you think about how you can and should address this. For me, I had the data and I did bring it to the person leading the company and said, listen, this is the data for all roles, not just my role. Uh, Here's where people are, including me, relative to market. And the feedback I got from that individual was, wow, you're, you're paid under market. And what I hoped for in that instance was to address it. Right. As soon as the issue was kind of surfaced, I could understand why they didn't surface it earlier, but to proactively address it. And what actually happened in that circumstance was acknowledging 
the disparity and choosing to do nothing in the moment and to wait for several months to uh, address it. Mm. And, you know, I, again, I can see oftentimes the deeper financials of a business and I recognize budgets are very real and they have a very real impact on what companies can do in terms of, of salaries and raises. But in this case, we certainly had the room to do the right thing. We had more than enough room to right. do the right thing and chose not to. And similar to you, I think the thought you run through is, well, we pay all these other folks who are my peers and they're being asked to do similar levels of of contributions to the to the business with similar weight to their job and they are paid fairly or handsomely compared to the market and I am not what is the difference here mm-hmm. and the difference is I am a woman <laughs> I am a gay woman and I'm the only one of those two things on this in this cohort of folks and you know that feeling sits with you and it creates issues it's hard to undo that feeling for a business once somebody kind of has this behind the scenes maybe signal of what their worth is to the to the company yeah. And yeah. once the questions come up, is it because I'm a woman? <laughs> you can't un- you can't unask that question. Yeah. Or or is it because I'm a woman? Or is it because I'm gay? Is it because I'm both? You know, it's it starts to become uh, pretty weedy. And so, like, so what does that feel like? I mean, because to be honest with you, I thought this was going a certain way. It's like you brought it up, they acknowledged it. I'm like, oh, so like. Uh, good things you know they brought it up and then you know like they they acknowledged it but then obviously this story takes a sharp turn in that they said oh yeah you're right and that's presumably where uh the conversation ended the conversation didn't totally end it was more of a delay so eventually uh my compensation got addressed but it split the difference it wasn't getting me fully to market it was getting me closer to market you know which in the moment i'm you know reflecting back on this there's so much i wish i had done differently but in the moment i felt like okay i can close the rest of the gap if i work hard enough here and i'm okay with this as the outcome because you know it was a, a significant increase for me and had an impact on kind of the financial goals I had for myself. But the underlying kind of anger or resentment didn't go away. And it shouldn't have. (laughs) You know, knowing the instinct was not to do the right thing immediately, even if I tried to talk myself into, this is good, this is okay, still stirs an emotion in me years later uh that tells me that it it didn't it didn't go away well no because i i mean if i'm understanding this correctly the recap version is you are being paid below market your peers are being paid at or above you bring it up it's addressed and then the solution is to bring you closer to market but still not there despite having this conversation 
Yeah, and I think one thing I do want to stress is I think if the there are budget constraints and for me if all of my peers were paid with the same philosophy so we were all paid as close to market as the company could afford mm-hmm. it feels like i may not love it and i may still choose to go elsewhere where i can be paid market rate but at least i know the conditions are the same for me as they are for my peers If it is clear that the conditions for me are different than the conditions for my peers, then it becomes a bigger issue. And so I think it's just like an interesting kind of overlapping of two things. Yes, we all want to be paid what we're worth, but I recognize there are business limitations sometimes to that, particularly with, with growing companies that are trying to do a lot with, you know, limited funds. Mm-hmm. But the strategy of how you're treating everyone needs to feel fair and equitable. And that did not exist in this particular circumstance. And that harbor or caused me to harbor a great deal of resentment from that point forward. So let's talk a little bit about Wistia now. A few months ago, we rolled out an entirely new comp framework that I know you put a lot of time and effort into. Can you talk us through the reasons why we made these changes and the work that went into this new framework? So basically what we rolled out this year is we have built a compensation model that relies first on compensation data from the market. So we look at what similar roles pay for companies like us. We're not going to be able to compete with what Google pays uh, a given role. We're also not looking to compete with, you know, a 10-person company and what they pay for a role. So basically, we rooted our ranges in what do companies like us pay for a given role. And that strips away any sort of bias on our end in terms of scoping the compensation based on the players we have already at Wistia or the folks that we're meeting with and recruiting. The second part of what we tried to do is, okay, we've got these compensation ranges for roles. How do we figure out where to put someone in those ranges? Because that is a process that is ripe for bias, whether it's favoritism, whether it's person like me, so somebody who has a similar story in terms of like how they got into HR and their growth path. Like we don't want affinity bias in there. We don't want other types of bias. So we spent a lot of time. There was a a great deal of work and a whole bunch of people who thought through different competencies that we value at Wistia Mm -hmm. and how we carve up the different ways of growth at Wistia. And ultimately what we tried to do is pull together those two things. We tried to pull together the compensation we're seeing in the market with the different levels at Wistia. And by defining those upfront ahead of time, we have at least something objective. It's it's certainly not perfect and we're still learning, but we have something objective to root our compensation decisions in. So everyone at Wistia who's in a given role at a certain level is paid pretty close to one another. Now, mm-hmm. there's going to be slight differences because somebody may have 
more tenure or may have, you know, one specialization more than kind of right. their peer, but hasn't made the jump to the next level, mm-hmm. but rooting it in something objective that we're clear about makes me feel a lot better about, you know, equity decisions or if somebody, for example, like your last company, if if you're talking in the hallway with somebody, I feel confident that all of our compensation decisions are rooted in this kind of rubric that maybe we've made a mistake in where we put someone and we can address it, but like there is a reason for every single yeah. salary at Wistia. Right. And so when when these conversations started with with Chris and Brendan, who by the way are the uh, co-founders of Wistia, the CEO and CTO respectively, how did those conversations start? And like, you know, I know that they gave you a lot of autonomy and, and latitude to kind of take this on and, and mold it in the way that you felt best when, when these conversations started, like how much of it was collaborative or, or was it kind of just, you know, Jane run wild with, uh, <laughs> with, with comp work. We have at Wistia, a talent and culture team that focuses on strategic decisions about how we want to drive talent and culture at Wistia. So, mm-hmm. Really, it was a collaboration of that group, and I took a look at a bunch of different models of doing fair compensation from like the grading system that you see in any sort of government job to some other rubrics at tech companies. And we landed on something that worked for a software company called Buffer, which is very similar to us in terms of the things that they value and kind of customize that to to Wistia's needs and the things that we value differently than Buffer does. Um, there's another company called Help Scout that uses a similar model. They, again, have customized it to their own needs, but really it was the talent and culture team thinking about different ways to solve this problem, what the root issue we were trying to solve for was, and some mm-hmm. of that was transparency, fairness, equity, some predictability, both for employees and then also for budgeting purposes. Now we have a better sense of like, you know, growth paths there. Mm -hmm. So really it was a collaborative effort of looking at some different models and saying, hey, does does this work for Wistia? Does it not? Let's try to frame it up, see if we still feel good about it. And ultimately we... We felt pretty good about it. Now, that being said, we also, as I'm sure you picked up in our conversations at the all hands meeting, we know we're going to learn about it and we know that it's not perfect. Uh, It's both a work in process and also we're a small company. So there are things that we're still learning how to define and quantify. I was excited about it when I heard this whole thing, because I think having a very clearly defined anchor point i think is is really important for the overall health of of the business but also it kind of it gives a kind of a north star to to the workforce in terms of you know with that levels framework we understand where we are and what comes next and what we need to do to get there to me that has already reshaped so much of how i approach my job and you know, the, the specific things that I want to focus on and areas for improvement, the things I already do well, so on and so forth. So 
you know, just, just speaking as a, as a recipient of this, uh, uh, revised framework, it was a great motivator for me. And I'm, I was excited to, to see how it all pans out. When it comes to compensation, I think the worst issue surface when somebody needs to ask why. And that was a guiding force to how we built this new framework at Wistia. We tried to really define the why. Why am I being paid the way that I am being paid? Number one, this is what the market says. Number two, here's where we've calibrated your performance. So we've shifted some of those questions, certainly, again, not all of them, but we shifted some of those questions from why am I paid this way to what do I need to do to get to the next level? I think where compensation policies fall apart and can become ripe for inequities uh, is when they cannot answer the why behind the decisions. Now, every business is going to have different different reasons there. They're going to have different constraints. They're going to have different strategies on talent and compensation. But if you can't answer the why behind any particular compensation decision at your business, then it's time to look at your policy and figure out how you could put some structure around it and ideally some transparency to folks at your company so that Colin, folks like you aren't sitting in the background going, why is this and self-selecting out mm-hmm. and feel more empowered to say, okay, I know the why behind this range that I'm being given, but I disagree with it for these reasons, or I want to know what it takes to get to the next band and where I need some coaching or I need to put in some extra time. And then it becomes much more productive and there's less room for kind of this festering resentment where mm-hmm. folks, particularly of equity-seeking groups, are wondering, is the why because I am black or a woman or gay or uh, an introvert or whatever the question may be? Yeah. They don't have to ask that. There's some formula that they can say, okay, I feel better that it's not because of these things. I may not agree with it still, but I feel better that that bias has been kind of removed as much as possible from the process. And they can focus instead on, is this the right place for me? What do I need to do to grow my career? Rather than just, I I can't even overstate the emotional load of trying to think through if something is because of your race or your gender or your religion uh, or anything like that. It it just is not a good feeling for folks to have. Right. And I think that this, I think that this creates accountability on both ends. You know, it, it, it allows employees to understand as we've been speaking about, it allows them to understand what is expected of them and what they need to do to get there. And then it creates accountability on the other side because there's transparency into what needs to happen. And there can be ongoing discussions about uh, progress made in those areas that are identified for improvement along the way. It's not like, you know, you have to wait a calendar year plus to talk about these things. You know, we have opportunities where we can talk to our manager every single week and 
you know, I, I just, I, I enjoy the increased accountability that is provided between upper management, senior management and, and the employees. So with all of this said, how are you feeling about everything so, like thus far? Cause I know we, we just did our, our first pass at it and, you know, adjusted uh, compensation and enacted this policy and set it into motion last or God, not last month, two months ago. How, how does it feel to you so far? It certainly was nerve wracking to put it out there because we do care and I care a great deal about the experience and, you know, pay is deeply personal to folks and has a bigger impact on their day to day than most parts of their employment. So I feel good that we have made some pretty big strides in terms of defining how we make these decisions. I expect that we're going to learn about better ways to do that, or even, you know, we wanna get to a point where we're able to more incrementally recognize growth within a given level for a specific function so that we can be even more objective with our decisions on where we put people in ranges and talk about growth. Uh, so I don't know that I have a feeling yet on how it's gone. I do feel pretty good that for the first pass, there was enough rigor there that I feel like we're at least going in the right direction. And I expect that we'll be able to refine it and make it even better and more clear for folks. But I, I do feel good about our ability to fairly and equitably make compensation decisions. And that was obviously one of our, our biggest goals for 2020 in terms of HR initiatives. I think the last thing I would want to add is the impact of not addressing this right now, or as soon as you realize that there is an issue is this insidious compounding effect. You know, for the situation I went through, having to wait to have it addressed was money out of my pocket that I will never get back. Yep. And that disparity exists along racial lines, around gender lines, and those folks can't get that time back that you as a business have chosen to kind of like put off this work. So I would say for businesses, even if it's as simple as doing some blind salary reviews where you're looking at folks by role and pulling out the names and just seeing if there's, you know, gender or racial disparities that exist, that is important work to mm -hmm. do now because these are folks and these are compounding impacts over time that the folks that it is impacting will never get back. It's just really important to pay people fairly and have some system, even if you can't roll out something super sophisticated, to really just make sure that you are checking to make sure that these decisions are running through some consistent filter. You know, I, I think that uh, it, it is worth calling out that we are coworkers, but but also friends. And so I know that, you know, you, you care a great deal, not just about what you do, but about the people that you work with. And 
you know, I'm, I'm aware that there is, that there is both professional and, you know, emotional labor that goes into enacting a policy that without beating around the bush is, is affecting people's livelihood and, uh, you know, ability to provide and, uh, and grow. And I, I can only assume that, that, that there is, there is great weight in, in making, making those choices and kind of setting into motion something that, that is so delicate and personal. But I think that this is, you know, a, a really big swing. And it, to me, it's, it's already feeling successful. I know that it's an iterative process and, you know, we're certainly not going to get it a hundred percent correct the first time around, but, you know, I think it's, I think it's worth calling out that work and a congratulations and a thank you, I suppose, are, are in order here. I wish I had a sound drop of applause. <laughs> there we go. Thanks, Ron. A Better Workplace is hosted by me, Jane Jackson, along with Colin Denny. We're produced by Ron Dawson and executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Josh Solarski. A Better Workplace is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And wherever you listen to podcasts, rate us and leave us a review. If you want to check out more podcasts and other content from Wistia Studios, head on over to wistia.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.